This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me. And on today's show, it's Wednesday. And if you are a regular listener, you know what today is. Yes, it's hump day, but it's also mailbag day. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, Wednesdays every week, Eric and I, we take all the best questions that Duck fans send us, and it can be about Oregon football, Oregon basketball, recruiting. Uh, We've had some really out there Oregon-centric questions and really just out there in general questions as well. We have fun with this. Uh, You can submit your questions to Eric on Twitter or on DuckTerritory.com. And speaking of DuckTerritory.com, if you're not a VIP member, of the site and you want to join our community that's a very large group of Oregon Duck fans great community a lot of informed a lot of smart reasonable uh, Duck fans out there you can do so for as low as one dollar for your first month one dollar for your first month 9.95 thereafter that get in on that deal today Eric uh, I think people are feeling a little bit of football um, it's kind of weird. I put this out on Twitter yesterday. I don't quite know what to do with myself because traditionally I, I am gearing myself up mentally for fall camp grind, covering like 20 practices in, in 30 days or, or so and you know lots of media sessions and lots of film reviews of practices and uh, lots of interviews to transcribe and whatnot. And at the same time, we don't really know when that's going to start. It could be next week. It could be later in the month. It could be sometime in September. Heck, it could be in, in 2021 for all we know. But football is getting closer, and that's kind of the focus of this mailbag. How the heck is it July 29th, Matt? It's almost August. What's going on? Yeah, right around now would have been uh, Saturday Night Live last year. Fall camp would be starting like two or three days later or, or a week later at the most. And uh, we could potentially be seeing that now. No Saturday Night Live, but fall camp at least could be starting here in about a week or so. Yeah, and, and I should say it's just bizarre. And, and like you, Matt, the last couple of years at least, I, my annual calendar is kind of – centered around football and my job and covering this team. And you're right that it is sort of strange. I've kind of feel like I'm losing my bearings here on the timeline of the year. Cause like I said, it's almost August, which should mean football is starting. And yet that's possibly the case, but like we have no certainty on that. And it's just weird. So, um, so a couple of questions later on, we'll address that and, and we'll have an opportunity to discuss what a fall might look like a little better. But the first one, we're going to start with a recruiting question from at quack attack 74. With 13 of Oregon's 18 commits, sorry, 13 of Oregon's 18 recruits committing after May 1st, do you see some of Oregon's top targets such as Kingsley Sumatia, Bryce Foster, Corey Foreman, and Dante Thornton possibly not being able to sign with Oregon due to other prospects committing to Oregon before they decide? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, 
I'm going to send this over to Matt in a second, but to preempt it, I'm going to say Sumatia, Foster, Foreman, and Thornton are all must-takes for Oregon, and barring some bizarre circumstances, Oregon would accept a, a commitment from any of those players basically at any time. Am I off basis on that, Matt? Yeah, you're right. Um, and I would also throw in JT uh, right. out of Washington, the number two player in the country, into that group. There's probably about five guys that Oregon has a very realistic question uh, – possibility of signing and there's a couple others that would be under the category of, of must takes no doubt we'll talk about one of them uh, later on in the show uh, but those five are kind of the group that Oregon feels like they've got a very good chance at landing um, I would maybe throw in a Sierra Wright who could maybe become number six as a must take as well uh, but none of those players are going to have that you mentioned are going to have issues getting into Oregon's class. Now let's just play devil's advocate here. And let's just say Corey Foreman commits uh, yeah. and JT all of a sudden wants to commit. Then that could be difficult because they've already, I mean, it, you're not you're saying no to the number two player in the country, but at, at some point you only get, uh, you know, so many guys that you can you can add into the roster. And, and it, now it's kind of getting a little confusing here. But, you know, out of those five, if any one of those five individually wanted to commit to Oregon, they would be able to uh, to, to sign with the Ducks right away. Um, it would get dicey if, you know, three or four of those guys have, have all have committed and maybe one or two of them are, are late stragglers and they want to jump on the train. That's where it could get really difficult to add the pieces. But – I have a feeling uh, Oregon has about six guys that they're involved with that are I view as must takes and traditionally schools, not, at, not just Oregon find ways to get those guys into the class. Matt, you were, you were saying it gets difficult when Oregon has a chance to land the number one and two players in the country. What a, what an awful situation for. Oh, just uh, I mean, I mean, let's literally just keep Mario Cristobal on our thoughts and prayers. I mean, it's, it's really difficult times. Do you take the number one overall player in the country? Do you take the number two overall player in the country? Do you take them both? I mean, boy, that's sometimes <laughs> tough sledding. What a, what a quandary he's faced with there, possibly. No, I, and I, and just to add on, I, obviously, I'm in agreement with you that about some of these players are just like these would be absolute headliners of any class Oregon's had historically. Yeah, it just seems so unlikely that they turn away some of these players, but. It could be a spot where very late in the process, if somebody still hasn't decided where it could get a little dicey with the numbers. And, and obviously that's where Cristobal and his staff have to make maybe some tough decisions about uh, upon kind of how they want to handle all of that. And, and I think a good question there in terms of what's kind of the, are, are these guys all must takes? And I think the answer is, is basically, yeah, the players that were listed from Quack Attack 74 are, are guys that, I just have a very hard time seeing Oregon ever turning away unless it gets to a spot where you're like at 25 somehow and a guy and you just don't have room. So, but right now there's no doubt that they take those guys. I don't think Oregon's going to add any player uh, to, to their commitment list without the understanding of if we take this guy, does that mean we have no room for these players? They will wait on Kingsley before they add another offensive lineman. They will wait on Bryce Foster before they add another offensive lineman. And, and it could be a, a case between Kingsley and, and Foster. Whoever gets that spot gets it. Um, but they're not going to – I don't want to discredit any you know, players' talents and whatnot, but they aren't going to take a three-star defensive end uh, unless they have the feeling that 
A, Corey Foreman isn't coming to Oregon. B, they can get Corey Foreman in while taking this commitment. They're, they're, they're not going to risk losing out on the number one player in the country or the best offensive tackle out West simply to add a piece that they could potentially add three months from now. All right. The next question is, I think, our first of three if questions here in a row, because it's a lot of like, what the heck is going to happen here uh, with the football stuff? So we'll start with at Matty Ice 1212. It's looking more and more realistic that we may be looking at a spring football season. Let's have some fun with it. Compare the fall 2020 football season roster with the assumed 2021 spring football season roster. This would account for projected NFL draftees sitting out and the six-month development for the remainder of the team. How do you think Oregon would do in the Pac-12 nationally, et cetera? Um, Thought-provoking question. We've discussed this a little bit on the podcast before. I think the thing – well, a couple of things here that we need to establish right off the base are, are, are what, what happens to Oregon seniors. Um, is it just the players that have desires to enter the NFL draft and have real aspirations, or are the majority of Oregon senior class who also still want to play in the NFL and at least put themselves in a position – like, how's that going to play out as the other part here? So, uh, I don't know, Matt, do you have like, what's your insight in that, do you think? I mean, it, let's say, for example, that there is a spring season and let's say it, it overlaps with an NFL draft. Do you see players that are like, like a Johnny Johnson maybe is a good example. He's a senior on the team. He's not like a first or second or third, maybe even a fourth or fifth round pick, but he's somebody who has a pro, at least a desire to be drafted and play at the NFL level. Like, is a guy like that going to sit out? I mean, that, that's a thing that you also have to consider too, is it's not just like Penny Sewell, who's like probably, we should start by it. He's, he's, he's probably not going to play if Oregon plays in the spring, given what he could lose out on. But what happens with some of these seniors, like a Johnny Johnson or a Jalen Red, um, obviously some guys on defense, just, it's a lot of uncertainty trying to establish kind of what that might even look like to start. Yeah, um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of the tough decisions that have to be made because while I think Johnny Johnson is uh, a player that could potentially make an NFL roster or at worst case be a practice player, um, I don't think it's a necessarily a, a, a given if he doesn't play a senior season. Right. Um, I, I think he has a, a lot to gain by playing his senior year. Um what does a, a, a Penny Sewell, Javon Holland do? I mm-hmm. certainly think they could sit out. I think there's a good chance that those guys would sit out. It, if I was their advisor and if they were intent on going pro after their junior seasons, I would tell them not to play. Um, but that's just my personal opinion, and we don't know their, their decisions and, and kind of what their thought process is like right now. And and. At the same time, you have like a guy like I think what what makes it real difficult with Sewell and Holland are looking like projected first round picks. Sewell in particular looks like a lock to be a top ten at worst. Uh, Holland is a little bit more of a, of a sliding scale if you go off of a lot of projections that we trust from national media outlets and other scouting services. Um, he could be an early second, mid second to as high as a top 10 pick himself. Um, I think Bill Kuyper has Holland as a top 10 pick uh, from ESPN.com. Um, so he, he's a little bit different, but I think the, the real tough decisions lie with like a Diomede Lenore and a Thomas Graham yep. and a Jordan Scott, um, three guys who you all definitively can look at and say, those guys are going to get drafted. It's just where do they get drafted? You know, I think Lenore and Graham could could see themselves be a, a second or a third round draft pick. 
they could and they could not play, and maybe they they slide down to a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round pick. Um, Jordan Jordan Scott's probably somewhere late, you know, late final day three of the draft, which would mean like a, a, a round seven, six, or or five. But he could, in my eyes, play his way up into you know that middle tier of a four three or pass, you know crazy things could happen, but, you know, maybe even a, a, a second round pick. And, and I'm not saying that's highly likely, but, yeah. um, you know, he has a lot to gain too. So those are the guys that are going to be difficult to, to decide. What do you do? Do you play? Do you, do you not play? Um, I think a player like Brady Breeze or Nick Pickett or a Johnny Johnson, um, those guys are players who, if they want to have a chance at the play in the NFL, they're going to have to take the risk of playing a spring senior season and then going right into uh, fall NFL season for their rookie seasons. Uh, I, I, I look at um, maybe a, a CJ uh, Verdell uh, maybe sitting out um, yeah, his, sure. his junior year because he's, he's played a ton at running back his first two years. He's got injury issues. But, again, has, has Verdell shown enough to warrant himself to have enough cachet to sit out a year and still get drafted? Uh, that's another tough decision, but let, let's let's get to that question um, of, of what a depth chart would look like. I, I think the two obvious ones is that you would have to, you would now probably have to, to replace all five starting offensive linemen. Yep. Uh, I, I don't think Penny Sewell would play um, a spring season. I certainly at least wouldn't if I was him. Right. And how does that maybe impact Oregon's? unit across the board. I mean, I think Jonah, Jonah T all of a sudden becomes uber important. Um, can Steven Jones maybe play left tackle? Uh, what will really see the versatility of Alex Forsyth and where he could potentially help Oregon across the board? No, I think you're right. I think the offensive line is, is the place where you start and it would be obviously Awful not – I mean, let's just really quickly, I'll just say, if you if we only got one and a half seasons of Penne Sewell – That sucks. That's, that's the you – could, you could make a pretty strong argument. He's going to be one of the best players to ever play at Oregon, regardless of positions. Probably has a chance to have a better professional career than just about anybody we've ever seen come out of Oregon. Um, I mean, I really think he could be somebody who's like a 10, 12, 13-year, you know, all-pro caliber offensive tackle. I mean, he's yeah. that kind of – superstar offensive lineman. And if you only get to see him for a year and a half, that stinks. Um, I don't want to sit and dwell on that too much because it makes me depressed just thinking about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but the offensive line, yeah, it, it will be interesting at tackle then. Uh, you, you brought up the two things that are interesting. I think Jonah T probably or, or Stephen Jones are, are probably your starting. One of those guys probably starts at left tackle. The other probably starts at right tackle. Um, maybe you maybe you move Amala Sala. Maybe he's been projecting at guard. Maybe he's good enough to play right tackle, and that allows you to have Stephen Jones at left tackle and more time to develop Jonah. I don't know. But there, you'd have some some interesting decisions that to be made there because you're already replacing four, and I have to replace five. And then the other position battle obviously becomes replacing maybe a Javon Holland. Um, and I think the secondary in general is that it, you are – there's a position where Oregon could, could actually lose a couple players. It's in the secondary, right? Yeah. I don't think it's – it sucks, but if Javon Holland and Thomas Graham don't play, Oregon still has like Mikhail Wright and Dante Manning and <laughs> Bennett Williams and all these really you know highly regarded guys to slide in. So I don't actually I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt and, and, and they wouldn't be worse. They I think I don't I mean those players are embedded. The drop off wouldn't be as steep as the offensive line. 
exactly is my point there. So I think the defense can still be really good, almost regardless of that, unless and this is just a bizarre hypothetical, like maybe a Kayvon Thibodeau goes, yeah, I don't really want to hurt myself in a sophomore season. That doesn't really mean much. So I'm not going to play. And then he comes back and plays his junior year and that's it. But I think barring something like that, I think the defense would be really good. So you're talking about competing in the conference. I don't think the defensive fallout would be that much. I think I would worry more about the offense, which coming into the season was already the bigger concern. So, um, and the other thing you have to account for here that's really difficult for us to do, Maddie, is, uh, is to consider what sort of professional declarations or players sitting out at other Pac-12 schools and how that might impact things. Um, and then that, that adds a whole other element of things. That, do these receivers at USC who are, are going to be high draft picks, do they play or do they sit out? That obviously impacts things. You've got some really talented defensive players uh, at like schools like Cal and Colorado. Who, I don't know, Colorado, obviously not a really talented team, but they've got a couple of guys that are projected to be high draft picks in a couple of years. Do those guys play? I mean, that, that's where it gets hard in terms of analyzing how all this plays out. To me, I don't think that Oregon, if this does play out, I'm going to guess it ends up being kind of a net, net nothing for them. I, think, I don't think it hurts them that much in the conference race. I think I'm probably going to see a, a handful of players at other schools do the same thing. So Oregon, I would still think, would have the most talented roster unless this plays out far different and we see a lot more players um, elect not to play, which is obviously a scenario, but we, one we really can't predict. 100% agreed. All right. Third question from at duck scribe. If the season is canceled, have games within the team like the spring game, but it would rotate Teams select two captains who select teammates for four games, then pick two more or for three rounds or four, ga- uh, four games until 12 games are played wild fun and possibilities for all. Uh, it's a fun idea from at duck scribe. If, if somehow we don't have actual football competitive games being played, um, now, I, I, also, <laughs> I also go, like, is this even something that – I don't think it's something that they would really even consider. But, Matt, like, would, if, if this theoretically was something that was, I guess, brought up by the University of Oregon or, or this was what they chose to do in place of a season, like, would you get on board for basically having intra-squad scrimmages for three months rather than, than, than actual – I mean, obviously, it's better than nothing. But would you be on board for something like this? I would be on board if they could make it justifiable and safe where they said, look – uh, Oregon, Oregon State, and Portland State, and Washington, and Washington State, and Eastern Washington. You know, those are six schools that are all within a, a, a less than a day's drive to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if 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 they could maybe somehow come up with a, hey, we're gonna we're gonna play a very regionalized you know season. It won't. If you play in these games, it won't impact your eligibility moving forward. So if you're a senior, a redshirt senior in 2020, and you play in these you know, four, five, six scrimmage games over the course of fall and winter, um, that you, you can return in 2021 as a redshirt senior. Uh, but if, if, if you want to use this like a Pene Sewell who wants to play in the fall and get some kind of reps, um, in, in, or a, maybe a guy like Johnny Johnson, and yeah, that I would be on board with that. Inner squad scrimmages, I think, are going to be are going to be pretty difficult. I do think if they, if, I do hope that if the season does get canceled, but they say we can we are allowing training to happen, that they come up with some kind of way where if schools can do it and do it safely and and be able to monitor the COVID stuff, uh, 
to allow them to actually have practices because just simply weight training isn't, isn't going to be enough for skill development. And some of these guys are coming you know, to colleges with the intent to improve themselves to be draft eligible and, and get themselves you know, and, and their families paid. And you know, they need that time to, to practice. And so I, I, I really hope they figure out some kind of way where they can allow athletes to still train and, and, and get better. In game-like situations. I guess building off of this idea, what if you did some sort of seven-on-seven circuit? I know then you don't have your your right. linemen become obsolete, but I mean that at least gives you a thing where Corgan has the quarterback for versatility, and they're going to be carrying a lot of quarterbacks now. They have the numbers at wide receiver and running back. Obviously, defense they've got a lot of bodies there. You could probably come to, you could come together with I'm trying to do my math on the fly here. Yeah, you could do you could very easily probably do four teams of seven. Um, like that with seven offense, seven defense, and, and each of your four different rosters like that, and you could have them scrimmage that way. I think fans would love to watch. I think from a fan engagement perspective, if we're trying to add something on to training, which, which you mentioned, Matt, and I'm in total agreement that, you know, if, if there is an unfortunate circumstance that exists that we don't have either fall or spring football, that I do want them to continue to be able to train. I don't want them to have a full lost year. But finding a way for fan engagement, I think it would be really cool, like what Duck Scribe has described here, to find some way to do some sort of, televised or probably not going to be able to have anybody attend probably has to be streamed or televised, but some sort of opportunity just to watch these players play, because I think it would be pretty hard for the, you know, for thinking for myself here, it'd be tough for myself. You know, if we had a full calendar year, basically with no Oregon football, Um, imagine being, you know, January 1st down in Los, Los Angeles, we're in Pasadena. That's the last time you watch Oregon play. And the next time you watch Oregon play, maybe it's, like against Ohio State to start the 2021 season. So um, I, I think finding a way to get creative and, and do some inter-squad stuff if there's no season is great, but I'm just hoping we're not put in a position where, where that's our reality. I think that would be obviously uh, pretty close to worst case. What if they did seven-on-sevens, you know, ro- rotation where they drive up to, to Corvallis and, yeah. and, you know, and then – Another weekend, a couple of weeks later, Oregon State comes down to, to Eugene, and then maybe uh, Oregon takes their their second string up to Portland State and, and, and goes against the Vikings, and then the Vikings come down to Eugene, and then maybe they, they go up to Seattle, you know, for the fourth time, uh, and, and they go up there, and, 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 they, and they, they do those games against, you know, the Huskies, something. Um, yeah. I think the, the overlaying theme here is, and we'll, we'll get to the break after this, but I feel like this is unprecedented times. There's no rule book for this. There's no um, history of, of how to deal with something like this. And so you got to get creative and you got to, you got to be understanding that, look, this isn't normal times and we're going to expand the, the rosters. We're going to open up more scholarships uh, athletes who maybe exhaust their scholarships, if they're in certain academic standing, they can get some academic scholarships and, and still be able to compete. Uh, a fifth-year senior can get a, you know, can, can train and, and take part in these exhibition-type things and come back for a sixth year if, if he wants, per se. Um, we're just going to need to see some, some I, I guess, rules relaxed a little bit in terms of clocks for eligibility and and training and all of that if, if players want to, to be able to do that. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, we've got three more questions coming up. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Uh, three questions in, three more to go. I just pulled a fast one on you, Matt. I've switched the order of questions here because oh, I thought no. you, you almost, yeah, I know. Look at me. We, we did all this show prep and I'm just throwing it out the window. But, uh, <laughs> but it kind of tied, you, you mentioned something similar at the end there. So I figured it would be a good transition here from at Johnny the K. If there is no football season this year, should the NCAA increase the number of scholarships allowed for each team? If they do that, what would the long-term ramifications of such a, be of such a move? Um, we could discuss this. At times, I think, obviously, um, eligibility, if there is no season, has to be ruled over if the player wants it. We just saw this with uh, spring sports where softball players got an opportunity. They played part of their season, but they, they now have a second senior season. Um, and I think, obviously, to accomplish something like that where you want to maintain eligibility for players, I mean, you don't – it's unfair straight up to the, to the student-athletes where you lose an el- year of eligibility when you don't have any actual games. That doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah um, – you'd have to get creative and you'd, I think you'd have to expand the numbers for next year in some way. I don't know what the number would have to be. I don't, I don't know exactly how it would work, but um, you, you'd need to do something like that to make, to accommodate this because otherwise you'd have all of these seniors on the roster that were planning on leaving and all these 2021 true freshmen and for Oregon, really talented players coming in. Um, and if you just do the basic math there, you're probably 18 to 20 bodies over the 80, you know, the, the number that you can, you can't pass. So um, I think Matt's probably on board there. What are your long-term, I guess, ramifications or what are, do you have any concerns about what this would do? Maybe not for 2021, but like in two or three seasons. Yeah. Like I, I'm on board with being able to carry more scholarships. I, I personally think, you know, like go back to the spring sports. And I said this before, but why, why are like, let's just say softball, for example, because, prominent players we know Haley Cruz is coming back for what I think her fifth year um, of of college or maybe sixth year I can't remember Uh, but she was a senior and the school the NCAA deemed that she can come back and and finish her her college career and it's for all seniors in spring sports 
if they choose to. But I don't understand why the freshman or the redshirt sophomore should just automatically lose a year. I, I think everybody should be given some kind of you know extra year to compete. Now, the ramifications of this means basically an entire recruiting class or two or three even could could really be impacted because let's just say Oregon was was counting on having you know 15 scholarships for the 2021 recruiting class for for softball let's let's go football because we're we're talking football here yeah let's say they're counting on having 25 uh scholarships for the 2021 recruiting class and all of a sudden uh all their seniors come back and they can no longer offer 25 scholarships to those, you know, to those guys that were currently committed. So we're going to have to see the numbers increase. I think to make things really easy without getting too complicated, I think the easiest way is, you know, okay, we're, we're going to allow 110 scholarships or 105 scholarships uh, for the 2021 football season across the board. And then in, in, in 2022, you, you get down to – something like a hundred, like a uh, hundred or 95 scholarships. And then in 2023, you have to be at 90 scholarships. And then in 2024, you're back down to your regular 85. Um, I, I think for some schools like Alabama, uh, for, for Oregon perspective, for Clemson, Ohio state, they'll continue to get really good because now you're just adding even more talent to, to a, to a roster and being able to hold more of it. But I think if you, if you do it where, you can add more scholarships, but you're not adding a full 25. Some of those players are going to go elsewhere, and the talent's going to get dispersed a little bit, you know, more evenly across the country. And we might see some middle of the road teams, you know, a handful of them, be able to, you know, accumulate a little extra talent, and it could bump them up to a to a new tier, or or a bottom dweller maybe makes the jump to a, a 500 team. You just mentioned something I hadn't really thought about, which is the fact that you'd have so many more bodies for practice. And I actually think from a player development perspective, I kind of wonder what that would look like. I mean, if you added several more players to each position group in practice, I have to imagine that coaches would absolutely love that. So that could be kind of one of those added actual benefits of this sort of thing here. All right, from at Robbie Parness, if you had to do a ranking of Oregon football coaches, you would hate to see leave. How high on the list would Feld be? I know he's not a position coach, but it seems like the role he's played in taking things to the next level has been invaluable. Hashtag Otson Audibles. Um, I'm not going to actually fully, I'm not going to rank the coaches here because I feel like that's going to get me in trouble if I say like, yeah, I think I like Feld more than these four coaches. But I will say that I, I, I agree with the general premise of like, you want to keep Aaron Feld around. Um, you'd hate to lose him. That's absolutely the case. What he's done has been fantastic. I don't think there's much question about it in terms of getting the bodies where they need to be. Think about how much more um, adept Oregon was in the trenches the last two or three years. Um, part of that is you have a head coach whose experience lies with offensive line coaches. Part of it's Joe Salavea is developing defensive line players and, and landing a recruit like a Kayvon Thibodeau to kind of help solidify things. But a lot of this has been felt and you see the body types when these players come in um, almost always bigger, especially on the lines than I expect from them. I mean, I think last year's group, especially, and I know the interior guys didn't get to play much and, and almost all of them redshirted, but just seeing the way those guys entered practices and, and how different they looked. And, and I, I think he's been extremely valuable. So I'm not going to rank 
<laughs> I'm not going to rank the coaches and, and put him anywhere and try to place him above or below anyone because that seems you know foolhardy on my part. But I, I will just say I totally agree with the premise that he has been really, really important to what we've seen from Oregon and its development. Um, and there are probably coaches on the staff that, yeah, that he would probably – I would have higher if I were doing some sort of hierarchy um, hypothetically. Yeah, he's he's critical. I mean, even though he's not a, a position coach, um, he's the one that is working behind the scenes when there are no practices and he's running the strength program and the agility program and the speed program uh, and, and getting the, these guys bigger, faster, stronger. And just think about the overall transformation that this team has taken mm-hmm. since his arrival. I mean – it's becoming the norm now, but it was astonishing to see how big these guys got ahead of the 2018 season and then how big they got even again ahead of the 2019 season. So uh, make no mistake, I mean, Aaron Feld, the strength coach for the, for the Oregon Duck football program, is one of the most important pieces uh, to this program across the board, whether it's a player, a coach, uh, on-field coach, off-field coach, he, he's near the top. And we should note, I, I, we don't think he's like, obviously he's not leaving now, but like he is going to be somebody, because like what Matt just said, he's one of the more respected strength coaches nationally, certainly developing that reputation. So, Yeah, he's going to be, I mean, look, he's from uh, the South. His yep. family's from the South. He's, he's very productive. He's had a very good time. Uh, his, his, his production at Oregon is very high. He's going to be someone that whenever a, a blue blood makes a coaching change, especially in the SEC, they're going to, you know, to call him and see if he'd have any interest in coming back home to coach and work with, with the staff back there. Yeah, I just think it's important to acknowledge we, we talk about a lot about fighting to keep Andy Avalos at Oregon, the fight to keep Dante Williams at Oregon, all those things. You're going to have something similar, I think, with Feld at some point here where it might not be this off, you know, might not be the offseason after this upcoming season. It might not be the one after, but at some point he's going to have some tough decisions to make because there's just going to be a lot of opportunity for him to, to look around. Let's conclude the show with a recruiting question from at Patrick McHugh. Love to see the Ducks in the top five for Jason Marshall. Hasn't been a ton of buzz about traction there for the Ducks prior. What is the scoop? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, this is from a, a little bit over, I think, about 10 days ago. So it's not super recent here, but Marshall, including Oregon as a, as a five-star recruit here, this is pretty, felt like pretty significant. Uh, Matt, what are your takeaways from this? Do you think Oregon has actual traction here, or is this maybe just a, another hat in the table kind of situation? Well, Jason Marshall is from Palmetto, Florida, high, uh, Palmetto High School in Miami, Florida. And his top five is Alabama, Florida, Miami, LSU, and Oregon. Uh, one of those is not like the others. And do, you, <laughs> yeah. do, do you know what I'm, I'm referencing here? Uh, if, if you don't, it's, well, he's, he's picked four schools all deep in the South, uh, state of Florida, state of Alabama, and Louisiana. And then he's picked a school that's thousands of miles away uh, in, in the Pacific Northwest uh, in, in the Ducks. I'm not saying Oregon has no chance here, but at the same time, um, it, it, it's very difficult to, to get Oregon uh, to get his signature on national letter of intent and, and land him at Oregon. We referenced this at the beginning of the show that there was five players, six players that Oregon was recruiting that I must take and, and they're in a good position. And, and then we said there, there are other, other guys that are 
that are considering Oregon, and this is one of them. I just don't think Oregon is one or two or maybe even three. They might be four. Um, they, you could maybe argue that they're three, but I, I'm not there. Um, I just think if, if, if official visits could happen – and this is, you know, and you, you had the opportunity and you were, you were a winning season. Uh, you were in the college football playoff. This is the type of recruit that late in the game you maybe can come in and, and, and sneak up and, and snag a commitment from. Um, but everything right now is and, – and that even then is going to be extremely difficult. Without visits, um, without potentially, you know, a full season being played, uh, with everything going on with COVID – I just have a hard time seeing Jason Marshall, who is the nation's second-best cornerback, the 29th-best player in the country, say he's gonna he's gonna leave Alabama, Florida, LSU, uh, and and he's gonna Miami, and he's gonna come to Eugene, Oregon, and play his football. Doesn't mean that Oregon can't change their mind, but Alabama, Florida, probably the two schools have the best chance of landing his commitment at this time. And I just don't think Oregon is, is, is right there. If the Ducks were to sign Marshall, he would be the five-star recruit they signed from the furthest distance from Eugene. Uh, currently that goes to Dante Manning from Kansas City in last year's class. So I'm with Matt on for basically all the same reasons he said, and I don't want to be redundant, but uh, it, 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 there's a lot of, it's difficult to pull a kid like this out of that part of the country. Um, Oregon obviously has had some success recruiting in the Southeast before, but not these blue blood five-star kids that every school down there is doing everything they can to land. I'm not saying that the recruits Oregon pulls from there are recruits that are like lesser thought of, but they're not these five-star kids that are like game-changing recruits. So interesting and always positive to be included on a list there. But like what Matt said, I think it's probably a little far-fetched unless we get official visits and things change a little bit this fall to, to think Marshall will ultimately sign with Oregon. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean they can't down the road, but I just, I always kind of look at recruits that this, you know, four, uh, a final five and four of them are regional. And then there's one, one school that's an outlier. It's just way out there. And um, it, it just doesn't always go that way for that outlier school. Very rarely do you see that outlier land uh, the, the commitment. So um, keep track of Jason Marshall, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be getting your hopes up at all if uh, Oregon signing his, his national letter of intent. So, all right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Perim. Thank you for listening, and you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.